0: I want to revisit some basics with you today. I want to talk to you about what it means to be born again. What does it mean to be born again? And this is one of those doctrines that you learn right at the beginning of your faith walk with Jesus. And I have found that a lot of Christians go through life operating with an SD version, the standard definition version. I want to go like 4K today. Can we do that? I want to go like 4K and really delve into the word and let's see what this means. And this is not about being technical and and fixing a bunch of misconceptions and wrong stuff that people have said. Knowledge of God is always coupled with power of God. The better you know him and what he died to give you, the more empowered you're going to be in your daily living. So we're going to be looking at two passages of scripture today. We're going to start off in John chapter 3, the gospel of John the third chapter, and we're going to be going to Ezekiel 36 after that, but we'll be uh, starting off in John. So while we're getting those passages ready, I'd just like to pray for us today. Father, we thank you so much for your presence and your power that have already been with us, not just in this sanctuary, but God, that came in the door with us today. Lord, we thank you for your presence and your power that we woke up with this morning, whether we felt it or not. God, it's been with us all week long. You have been with us all week long. Uh, because we belong to you, Lord, and you are committed to us. And God, I pray that you would remind us of these fundamentals, remind us of these basic principles of Christianity today. Lord Jesus, you are the one who taught about what it means to be born again. And we've got to listen. We want to take in everything we can about it. Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters who are already in your kingdom would walk out encouraged and strengthened. Father, if there's any today here that are backslidden, Lord, they're away from you and they want to come home and they're They're not sure. God, I pray that they would return to you today. God, if there's any among us that have questions, they're not saved. They're not Christians. They're they're just curious about what this all is. Lord, I pray that their hearts would hunger for what they hear about today, Lord God, because they recognize that it's right and it's true and it's everything they've ever needed. So we look to you for guidance and light today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Have you ever seen two people, maybe had a couple people come up to you, young, excited couple, and they're like, oh, we want to get married, and all you can think in your head is, oh, no. <laughs> a couple people can relate to that. You're like, you look at them and think, I ah, you're not quite ready for that yet. I, you should wait. Maybe it could work, but maybe not now. Maybe give it a couple more, couple more years, and that happens, and their response is, we love each other. We're going to make it work, man, because love is all you need, and they're wanting to make a big decision that's based on a real experience, but it's experience that's not coupled with understanding what that relationship is and what that relationship entails, because like many things, it's a lot deeper than just the outward sensation. Because when you're really going through stuff and you're married, you know, 10 years down the road or something, the moment that you fell in love only has so much keeping power. A lot of the times what you have to go back to is, I promise this person for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer, or for poorer, till death do us part. That's the stuff that marriage is made of. You know, you have experiences that make the relationship meaningful and valuable and intimate and personal, but what it's built on is a promise. What it's built on is a commitment that is not bound by a momentary experience. It's something deeper and richer and more lasting than that. And our relationship with God is just the same. A lot of times Christians talk about their relationship with God only in a context of experience. And all they really know about their relationship with God is what they've walked through, what they felt, what they have experienced, not to overuse the term, but if you look for actual facts about what the relationship is, what the Bible says the relationship means, that's where we tend to draw some blanks. And we're not entirely sure of what to say. We know that it's relational we know that it has to do with being changed and being made new, but even those definitions are a bit lacking compared to everything Jesus said about it. So you've got a lot of believers, a lot of genuine Christians who have real experiences with God, but because they have a lack of understanding about the nature of that relationship, they flounder. I've watched people struggle with so much condemnation and guilt, up and down wondering how God feels about them. They, they know they've experienced his love before. They, they know that when they pray, they can feel his nearness. And when they sing praises and lift their hands, they know that he's alive and that, that he's nearby. But because all they've really got is emotion, there's not a lot undergirding them because emotions are not reliable, are they? They change like the weather, and sometimes even more inconsistently than that. The fact is, spiritual realities are not rooted in our experiences. Now, spiritual realities find expression in our experiences, that's why they matter. The experiences you've had with God are sacred. They're important. They're defining for you. And it's God's truth expressing itself in your life. Those times where you have felt God near to you and you knew that he touched you and you knew that you were changed by something that happened, that's God's truth manifesting in your life. But what those realities are grounded in, what they're rooted in, is the truth of scripture. And that's something that doesn't ever change because our experiences come and go Some days they feel more alive and powerful than other days. So we've got to make sure that the bedrock of our self-understanding isn't something we felt 10 years ago or something like that. It's got to be something that we know factually that doesn't ever change, that is not shaken or rocked by the circumstances of life or even by our own failure. And certainly not by the devil's lies. And the clearest teaching on what it means to be born again comes from Jesus himself. John chapter 3 We're going to read verses 1 through 10. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who's born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? We're going to stop right there. So we're introduced to this guy named Nicodemus. He's a man who considers himself very enlightened and very spiritual. He's religious. He's a Pharisee. That means he's a ruler of the Jews. He's a seminary graduate, very educated In the book of the law, he knows the scriptures backwards and forwards, but he's actually not enlightened. He's actually in spiritual darkness. You know, in verse 2, when John says this man came to Jesus by night, it's quite possible he's not saying that he snuck out to meet Jesus because he was afraid of the Jews. Nicodemus went and got Jesus' body from Pontius Pilate after the crucifixion. This guy wasn't really afraid. He was a very wealthy man. He was not used to being intimidated by people. He was used to people being intimidated by him. It's quite possible that what John's doing here is he uses light and dark kind of to show the spiritual condition of things, whether it's the condition of the room or condition of the person. Another example is when Judas Iscariot he takes the bread from Jesus at the Last Supper. Jesus says, "What you've you've committed to do, go do quickly." And John says, "As soon as he went outside, it was night." It's like, what happened to sunset? Well, is John talking about the time of day going to night, or is he talking about a man committing himself to evil? the same way here you've got a guy who thinks he's spiritually illuminated and he knows the word and he knows God's truth but actually he's in the dark he doesn't really know what's going on and so he comes rabbi we can tell that you're a teacher sent from God because he's coming to Jesus as an equal talking as a peer you know and Jesus responds in a really unexpected way he's like yeah you don't know how to enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again and the more Jesus talks, the more confused this great theologian becomes. And it's kind of funny the way that it happens. And he, all you see Nicodemus doing is respond with ignorance. And in verse 4, he says, how can a man be born when he's old? He's probably getting a little sarcastic with Jesus here. In verse 9, he says, how can these things be? And he's rebuked for not understanding. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel? And you do not know these things? Now, some English versions will say, are you a teacher of Israel? Are you a master? But the Greek is very definite. He's saying, are you the teacher of Israel? He's calling him out on his position. He's calling him out on on how uh, prestigious he is in the community. He's like, you're the great teacher of this people of God, and you don't understand what I'm saying? So before we get into what in the world born again means, what's born of water, what's born of spirit, the real question we have to ask is, would Jesus rebuke Nicodemus for something he couldn't have known? Could Nicodemus really have known what Jesus was talking about? And the answer is no. He would not rebuke him for something he could not have known. If Nicodemus had no access to understanding of what Jesus was talking about, Jesus wouldn't have rebuked him. He wouldn't have shamed him like he did. But he's calling him out because he truly should have known what Jesus was talking about. And the reason why that's important is because very often we read Jesus' teaching in John 3 as though it's a brand new idea that no one in the history of the Bible has ever talked about before. We think it's a new teaching being introduced. But actually, Jesus is quoting straight from the Old Testament that Nicodemus read every day. So this isn't a new teaching being introduced. This is an old promise being fulfilled. That's what's happening here in John chapter 3. And Jesus is looking, this great teacher, this very educated man, thinks he's really spiritual, thinks he's got his act together. He's looking at him saying, you should know exactly what I'm referring to. You should be thinking of passage after passage in the prophets that said God was going to do this. And you're completely in the dark, completely in the dark. And so you and I can't afford to be missing what Nicodemus was missing. We've got to understand what Jesus was talking about if we truly want to walk in the power of this promise that he's referring to. So he's talking again about the nature of the kingdom of God, how you get into it, how you enter it. Nicodemus is confused. And usually we have our own basic understanding, as I said. And our understanding is usually pretty accurate. Usually preachers and Christians in general like to equate the new birth with Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And that's absolutely correct. Because that's exactly what Paul is talking about. But it's not everything Jesus was talking about. And this is where Ezekiel 36 is going to come into play. If you have that at the ready, let's go read that. Ezekiel 36, we're going to read three verses. And this is a prophecy by the the prophet Ezekiel in which God is promising to restore his people. They were constantly rebelling against him, and after, even though after warning, after warning, after warning, they would not change their behavior, they would not repent, he had to allow a foreign army, the nation of Babylon, to take them over, and they were carried away into exile. They became essentially homeless. And while they're there, God starts speaking promises of mercy, saying, I'm not abandoning you. I'm trying to get your attention. I'm doing whatever it takes to break you of your love for sin, and I'm not going to leave you there forever. I'm going to bring you back, and these verses that we're about to read in Ezekiel 36 are those promises of restoration, and they're the ones that Jesus was referring to in John chapter 3. Verse 25, it says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and you will do them. And so what you have here in verse 25 and 27 especially is water and spirit being brought together in a single promise. Just like in John chapter 3, Jesus says, Nicodemus, you want to go to heaven? you got to be born again. What do you mean, be born again? Jesus explains, you have to be born of water and born of the Spirit. And being born of water and spirit had been variously understood, if you look back over even maybe a hundred years of Bible interpretation, if you read commentaries from a hundred years ago all the way up until now, two really popular views, and I don't want to say popular as though it's like some kind of trend, it's not that, these are men and women of God who really wanted to understand Jesus' teaching. But two very common understandings were that being born of water meant water baptism, Now, one of the issues with that is if you have to be born of water, meaning water baptized to enter the kingdom, then you're not saved until you get dunked. And that's not something that we would advocate as a a church at TSC and Summit. We would not advocate that. We believe that water baptism is a step you take because you've gotten saved. Because Jesus has rescued you from eternal wrath and forgiven you of your sins, you now want to demonstrate your commitment to him as a disciple, and so you enter those waters of baptism and everything that they signify, which would be another topic for another time. Another option has been that maybe born of water means natural birth. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus, it's not enough to just be born once by your mother. You also have to be born again by the Holy Spirit. And that one held a lot of ground for a long time. The only issue with it is there's no precedent in any kind of Greek literature, whether it's in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, or even in in secular Greek philosophy, you don't ever see water being used to describe natural childbirth. So this would be a really random and difficult, almost riddle-like teaching for Jesus to be coming up with. Nicodemus wouldn't be able to understand that. But the whole point is, he should know what Jesus is talking about. And it's been within the past couple of decades or so that this connection between John 3 and Ezekiel 36 has really taken ground. And I'm convinced this is exactly what Jesus was saying. And one of the main reasons is because you're letting Scripture interpret Scripture which is always the best policy when you're trying to determine what a Bible text actually means. And so Jesus tells Nicodemus, you've got to be born of water and the Spirit, just like the prophet Ezekiel foretold. And so you read in this passage, and Ezekiel is speaking by the Spirit of God and saying, you're going to be sprinkled with clean water, and you're going to be given the Holy Spirit. And so in this passage, you've got three promises that give us a threefold definition for what it means to be born again. What is Jesus saying it means to receive the new birth? Well, first of all, it means this. According to verse 25, where he says, I'll sprinkle clean water on you, it means forgiveness of all your sins and all your disloyalties. That's what it means to be born again. To be born of water means to be forgiven of all your sins and all your disloyalties. When he says, I will cleanse you of all your filthiness, the word filthiness in Hebrew has to do with anything that would make you unfit to enter God's presence. Anything that would make you unfit to worship him. Anything that makes you unworthy of saying, Jesus, I love you. And we've all felt like that. We've all come into this house at one point or another and said, I'm glad I'm here, but I just, I don't feel like I should sing to you today. I don't really deserve to be here. I I don't belong in your presence. I I messed up. I failed. And, And the Bible says, no, you've been born of water. You've been born anew. You have been cleansed from all your filthiness. Everything that made you unworthy has been washed away. You now belong in the presence of God. You now belong. And that's a permanent thing. That does not ebb and flow with your performance throughout the week. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness. Everything that made you unfit, everything that made you unworthy has been washed away in the cleansing water of Jesus' salvation. And not only will you be cleansed from all your filthiness, but you're going to be cleansed of all your idols. Now what's an idol? An idol is something that steals your affections away from Jesus. An idol is something that takes your loyalty away from God and makes you give yourself to something else. And God says, I'm not just going to wash you clean of all the things that made you unworthy, but I'm going to set you free from the things that steal your heart away from me. I'm going to forgive you even of that. And sometimes you meet people that come into the house of God and they think, oh, I've given my heart away in so many different directions throughout my life. And even this week, I still give my imagination away. I give my body away. I I hate my sin, but I don't know how to stop. The Bible says, listen, you're clean. You're washed. You've been cleansed of your filthiness. You've been cleansed of your idols. Even your disloyalties have been washed away and forgiven. Even those moments where you know you're not being what you should be. Listen, You are not strong enough to undo the cross. Your sin is not strong enough to undo the cleansing work of Calvary. Don't give the devil that much credit. Don't give your failure that much strength. To be born of water, to be born again, means to be forgiven of all your sins and all your disloyalties. The second thing it means to be born again comes out of verse 26. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is a metaphor for stubbornness and tenderness. Everything in you that resists me, everything in you that wants to tell God no and go your own way and do your own thing, I'm going to teach you how to be free from that. I'm going to liberate you from that. And I'm going to take that stony heart out and put a a heart of flesh. It's a tender heart. A heart that's soft and responsive to God. A heart that says, Lord, I want to obey you. I don't know how to get all this stuff under control all the time. I don't know how to keep it together all the time. But I know in here what I truly want is to walk with you. That's proof that you've been changed. That's proof that you've been transformed. Because if you were still in the deadness of your sin, you would not be bothered about your behavior. But if there's a war going on inside of you, if you hate your sin, if you want to walk with God, that is proof that stony heart was taken out. And a new tender heart has been put in. Because you don't have it in you to love God. in And of ourselves, apart from the saving work of Jesus, we don't have it in us to want to walk with him. We are naturally inclined to want to be in charge, be our own gods, do our own thing. If there's a war going on inside of you, that is proof positive that Jesus has done his transformative work in your life. So being born again means being forgiven of all your sins and all your disloyalties. It means having a tender and responsive heart toward God, a heart that that says, Lord, I want to agree with you. Teach me your truth and I'll listen. You don't have to go into Christianity having it all figured out. You're going to see Christians, they're they're born again, they're newly saved, and they know like nothing, absolutely nothing. And you see them doing things like, whoa, wait a minute, that's not okay. Well, look, they don't know. The proof is in the moment of confrontation. And I love testimonies like that. I remember hearing a story from a a, a brother that used to to sing in the choir here at this church. He was a graduate of Summit. Now he's pastoring in in Washington, D.C. with his wife. And he told me about when he first got saved. He was singing here, and he was still living with his girlfriend. He didn't understand that in the kingdom of God, God has one definition of marriage. And the only time sexual intimacy is acceptable is within the confines of marriage. It's, It's your promise that entitles you to a person's body. He didn't know that, though nobody taught him that so he's living with his girlfriend he's newly saved he's excited about jesus shows up to sing in the choir and and you know one day he, he implicated greg he said greg found out that he was still living with his girlfriend and greg pulled him aside very lovingly and said you know brother i, I just wanted to ask you did you know the bible says that that's a sin he only one said really it is he had no idea i mean the guy's coming out of darkness into light he doesn't know anything and he said, really, that's a sin? So I, I, what, do I, what do I need to do? Just what do I do? Tell me what to do. And I'll, I want to obey God. And he moved out. That's the proof. People don't need to have everything figured out. But the evidence of that, that changed heart is a responsiveness to God. It's not that you know everything God wants. But when you encounter what God wants, you will bend your knee to it. You will give him your allegiance. That's the stony heart coming out and being replaced with a heart of flesh. The third thing that it means to be born again comes from verse 27, where he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and you will do them. And this is where Jesus said, you must be born of water and the spirit you must be born by the Holy Spirit and when you are born again, you are given the Spirit of God with all of his transformative and mobilizing power. Because what does he say? I will put my Spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. The Holy Spirit isn't going to force you to do what God wants. He's going to change and empower you to do what God wants. He's the one who enables us to live a life that pleases God. The weight is not on your shoulders. The weight is not on your shoulders to change yourself. Jesus has changed you and will keep changing you until the day that he returns or calls you home. That's what it means to be born again. You're forgiven of all your sins and all your disloyalties. You have been given a tender, responsive heart toward God and you have got the spirit of Almighty God living inside of you, giving you all the power you need to live a life that pleases him. That's what it means to be born again. It's that simple. It's not super deep, it's not mystical, it's wonderfully, wonderfully simple. You're forgiven, you're clean, you've been changed and you've been empowered. You have the power of God inside of you and that's a beautiful thing. And one more element that we have to note here is again that Jesus calls this a new birth. It's a new birth. And the reason why that matters is because you are not just talking about a little change that takes place in your heart and that's it. You're talking about the the receiving of a whole new identity. This is the only kingdom in the universe where you have to be born into it to be accepted. You You can change kingdoms or even change nationalities or things like that. You can change your citizenship. But in the kingdom of God, you've got to be born into it. You actually become a child of the king when you become a member of the kingdom. You get a new identity. The reason why you get forgiveness and you get a new heart and you get the Holy Spirit is because God adopts you and make, makes you his own. You are in the family. You are royalty. You're not just a changed person who's now expected to do all the right things with what you've been given and woe unto you if you mess it up. No, you have a new father now. You have a heavenly father who has given you everything that you will ever need. Everything in his house belongs to you. If you need it to get through life, it's yours. It's yours. You have unlimited access to all the resources of your heavenly father. Let me read a couple passages to you. Just to drive the point home here, Galatians 4, verses 6 and 7 say this, Because you are sons and daughters, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 3-5 say this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are being kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Romans 5, 6 through 11 says this For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. You are in the family. You are born again. And I want to give a challenge to all of us today. It's going to sound a little scary. Stop telling people you're born again. Really. Say this instead. Say, I'm forgiven, I'm empowered, and I'm adopted. Say that instead. Changes it up a little bit. Sometimes you need to tell yourself that. And the reason why I say that is because you get used to terminology. You get used to saying something and it loses its impact. Until you say, wow, again, stop saying born again and say, I'm forgiven I'm clean. I'm empowered. I'm adopted. Say that. Run that list. And when your heart starts saying wow again, then you can go back to saying, I'm born again. Because you remember what it means. You really know what it means. Don't get used to this stuff. This stuff saved our lives. It's God's truth. And it's more packed with power than we can even begin to imagine. When you say you're born again, you're not just talking about an experience that you had a couple years ago or a season of life ago. You're talking about a new permanent reality that you were miraculously resurrected into. Your identity was changed. And so however long it takes, that's what you need to tell yourself. You need to tell the devil. You need to tell your family. You need to tell your friends, your unsafe coworkers. I'm forgiven. I'm clean. I'm adopted. I'm empowered. And you can be too. Well, not the devil, but everybody else in that list, you can, you can say that too. He's done for. That's another topic for another time. But Would you stand with me? I just want to pray for us and give an invitation. First of all, just follow with me for a moment. I, I just have three, three invitations that I want to give, just three burdens I'd like to lay out. If you're here and you're not saved, if you're not a Christian and you've just been checking things out and you've had questions and you're realizing, man, that's exactly what I need. I need God's forgiveness. I, I need to be adopted by him into his family. I, I want to be a part of his kingdom. Listen, you're, you're just a few steps away from changing your eternity. You're only a few steps away from God taking your life and turning it around in the most wonderful way that you can imagine. Give your life to Jesus today. Ask him to make you born again. Ask him to take you through that experience that is rooted in his truth, where he will change you from the inside out. If you're backslidden today, you're away from the Lord, it's time to come home. Don't waste another day. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Come home. Your father's not going to be angry with you. He's ready to receive you and wipe off all the dirt you've gotten all over yourself. Come home again. And maybe there's people here today that as we've been going through this, you've realized that. You've not truly had this born again experience. Maybe it's been a religious exercise. Maybe it's been familiarity with the things of God, but nothing you've ever really been committed to. You can't stand here and honestly say, I know I've been changed. I know I've been transformed. I, I know I've been walking in the power of God. I, I've never known how to say it quite like this, but I know this is my life. I know this is. If this all sounds foreign to you, do something about that. Do something about that. You know, when when students and others tell me, you know, I I gave my life to Jesus when I was X numbers of years old, but I really committed to him when I was, you know, 10 years older. I I often challenge people on that. I often challenge people on that. Saying, well, look, did did you really mean it when you prayed all those years ago? Did you really mean it or did you just do something that was expected of you? Because, I mean, you can't just casually give your life to Jesus. He's a great king. He wants to transform your life. This isn't a casual thing. This is a transformation of your identity. And I want everyone in this room to be able to walk out of here today saying, my identity is completely different. I was born one way into this world, but I've been born another way now that I met Jesus. And if you fall into any of those categories, if God is speaking to your heart, I want to invite you to come down to the front. And this isn't something we do to embarrass people. It's just a way to respond to what God's doing on the inside. You do something outward to show something inward is going on and you want to give yourself to it. We're gonna sing a couple of songs and worship God, and then we're gonna come back and pray together. So don't be shy, don't be ashamed. We love you and God loves you too. Can we do something a little different? Those of you that have come to the altar, can you kind of maybe clump a little bit in the middle? You're New Yorkers, you're used to not having a lot of personal space. You ride the train at all, it's a little crowded. I wanna I wanna pray for you all together. And I love the fact that you're down here because the fact that you're down here shows you're not ashamed of Jesus. You're not ashamed of him, you know? Because look, this is where does this kind of thing happen? You know, this is so different. And you're down here because you're not ashamed of him, and he's not ashamed of you either. No matter what you brought down here with you, no matter what made you realize you needed to come and respond, he is not ashamed of you. He loves you, and you are clean, you are forgiven everything that's made you dirty, everything that's made you unworthy, everything that's driven you from God's presence, it's gone. It has been washed away, the Bible says. You've been born of water, and now you're empowered. You're born of the Spirit, and you are in the family. So look, let's pray together, and I want to ask you just to repeat after me. And, you know, let's all stretch our hands out. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Some are down here because they're coming home. Some are down here because this is their first time entering the family of God, and we're going to support them. We're going to love them. So, brother, I want to hold your hand while we pray. Just repeat after me. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for loving me. Even in my sin, I believe today that you are the only one. who can love me perfectly. perfectly. You are the only one who can forgive my sin and keep me and and give me the power power to live a life life that honors God. God. Thank you for cleaning me today. Thank you for for adopting me today. Thank you for for empowering me today. I pray, that the in me I pray that the change in me would be clear to everyone. Let your name be honored through my life. Thank you for loving me, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.